Okay. Can you hear yourself okay? Can I hear myself okay? Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're testing the microphone, the classic microphone test. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, yeah, I just kind of go into the podcast starting now. Uh, this podcast is called Songwriter Therapy. I'm here with Austin Graham, also known as Grimnir. Uh, Austin, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about why you're on this podcast. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Austin, uh, singer, songwriter, composer based in the San Francisco East Bay. I heard Andrew send out kind of like a general invitation to take part in his new podcast. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so uh, most people that I've had on so far and that I'll, I'll probably have on for a while will probably be friends of mine um, from Stockton. Uh, so we will have a lot of like exposure to the Stockton scene. But I was really excited that you reached out to me earlier on when I when I put the the feelers out before I even announced you know mm -hmm. any episodes or anything like that um, because you're you're not a Stockton based person. I, even though I met you at a Stockton open mic, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and and in this podcast I'll probably hype Stockton quite a bit just because it's a place that I that I love and I I think that um, we have a lot of opportunities uh, as far as. Uh, you know, growing the scene here and, uh, right. And you were also raised here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in Stockton. Um, so, uh, I guess my first question to you is, uh, you're from the San Francisco Bay area. Can you tell us a little bit of like, um, how long you lived in the Bay area Were you raised there? Like some of your, your just personal background. I was raised in a small town called Castor Valley. I'm still there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, didn't really start getting into music until I was in about seventh, eighth grade, like voluntarily. I was involuntarily thrust into it <laughs> by my mom in like fourth grade doing violin self-taught. But okay. the uh, strings were literally so thin, they were like cutting into my fingers. <laughs> and I have baby skin. I mean, since mm -hmm. then I've gotten calloused and yeah. stuff since taking up the grinning bastard you see behind me on the, on, the, <laughs> on your right. But um. Yeah, I was taking violin or I was learning violin on my own as best I could for about three years. And then I heard these uh, two classmates of mine in seventh grade play this really badass uh, double cello concerto by a composer named Vivaldi, who listeners mm -hmm. have probably heard heard of. It's like, yeah. you've definitely heard the Four Seasons. Yeah. You know who Vivaldi is. Yeah. Um, but he only wrote one, and there's only one double cello concerto from the Baroque period, and it's attributed to him mm -hmm. in his very unique style. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. that's what got me started. Yeah. And, and you said uh, that was about middle school when you got into cello versus just playing violin on your own? Yeah. The strings were much more agreeable with my, yeah. with my baby hands. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a similar... Um, probably around the same age uh, I started, I played violin in the school, like strings, the, the, the first beginner program, the beginner program, yeah. like before you're allowed to play like trumpet or any other band instrument, you're allowed, you know, they say like, okay, now we'll start you on violin and you'll play hot cross buns. And I played hot cross buns for a whole year. That's all I could play. <laughs> um, and then I gave it up the net. And then the next year I did trumpet in a band in, uh, in school band for a year and then gave that up too. When I found guitar. Yeah, to have real good <laughs> lungs for a wind instrument. Yeah. I did trombone for about five weeks in college. And yeah. It was just like 
hey, we're doing a holiday concert at the end mm-hmm. of this at the end of this uh, quarter. Just like shit, <laughs> <laughs> wow, sweating bullets playing holiday music from memory. Just yeah. Like, oh, geez. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Did you? Uh, were you a music major in college? Yeah, for both my bachelor's and my master's degrees. Okay, cool. Um, uh, an educated fellow. Where uh, Where did you go to college, if you don't mind? That was sharing. Cal State East Bay in Hayward. Oh, cool. Uh, um, so I used to live right across the street from Cal State East Bay. So I, I lived in Hayward for four years, as I made a, might have mentioned to you before. Right, um, yeah. Which so I was like, in Castro Valley a lot too. You definitely drove through there many times. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. You know that uh, you're you're going up the hill to Cal State East Bay. I guess from from Carl, uh, you know Carlos B. Mm-hmm. I so lived like right there on those uh, those apartments that everyone you know. Oh, lives City in. View. Yeah, City View. Of course, I lived in yep. City View. I had a number of friends that were living there, and we would just crash and. That's chat so and funny. Pass the joint around. <laughs> I had I hadn't actually done or I hadn't actually taken like partaken in weed until after i finished grad school for the first time oh yeah i've only done it a handful of times so i, I think i'm good I'm yeah good with beer i'm good with beer and a good like vodka drink yeah nice um yeah it's it's cool that we kind of have this like a uh, connection of of area at least where uh where we've we've spent a lot of time yeah and uh yeah that's that's cool um so uh so now what do you what do you do uh music wise now besides uh uh, Grim Near and and um, and your songwriting projects. You have any your like hands on any other projects? Uh, that's my primary project right mm-hmm. now. Um, my first album was released in September this mm-hmm. year, um, so I've been promoting that as much as I can. Cool. Going to open mics here in Stockton and in the East Bay. I also did one. I've also done one in Sacramento a couple of times at the old Ironsides and. I'm a freelance musician mm-hmm. and just play for whoever needs me. I'm not in any orchestras right now. I'm a little bit exhausted yeah. of that scene. Yeah, yeah. As someone who has been playing it for most of their musical career and who is someone who has analyzed a lot of chamber music, a lot of orchestra music, mm-hmm. I'm ready to focus more on the people who are making music now. Yeah. And yeah. diving into that and analyzing it and seeing what I can learn from it. Mm-hmm. That's so. awesome. Yeah. So um, one of the things that you uh, you mentioned, as you said, uh, you picked up cello. It was the first time by choice. Could you talk a little bit about like how it felt to to go from something that maybe maybe wasn't as fun or felt forced to to something that was your own choice? Uh, well, it was a lot more enjoyable. For yeah. One. <laughs> uh, but um. One of the things that I started cello with a like a concrete goal in mind is like mm-hmm. I want to learn to play that double cello concerto that I yeah. saw my classmates play. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened in the subsequent, I think the next summer, I started lessons with a guy named Alan Gove who passed away in 2016. Um, but he and I had a, or he had a number of a large collection of students who were both classmates and also people who I met that were professionals, one of whom was Larry or Lawrence Granger, who um, also passed away from a, a brain hemorrhage and some kind of cancerous tumor that was in his brain. Um, too bad. And he died like on the operating table. And they're like, mm. oh, we need to take care of this now. But um, anyway, my career into that was moving pretty quickly. I tended to focus more on the songs or the pieces or the classical repertoire that my teacher was giving me. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
didn't really pay much attention to etudes or scales. So I was kind <laughs> of a bad student in that regard. I was just like, oh, it's boring. I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. But then, of course, like a few years in, it's like, oh, I should have done that Yeah. <laughs> when I was told to do it. And like, okay, time to start doing it now. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I think there's a similar path um, for, uh, you know, guitar player, singer, songwriters. Obviously, we'll, ha- we'll probably have a lot of uh, guitar players on here, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's so great to have you here for episode three because you're you're gonna like break that up a little bit and hopefully I can get some other interesting uh, one songwriters small fissure on. in yeah. the otherwise perfect canvas. Exactly, <laughs> the well, one guy that went <laughs> just messed up. Yeah, well, I mean, I I feel like it's it's even worse for people who pick up guitar because oftentimes, uh, you know, they don't have some sort of guide on their journey. But at, at the same time, uh, people just want to learn a song, and so there's so many guitar players I know, maybe songwriters or not that uh, learn, you know, cover songs from tabs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, they're great, great musicians, great at playing these songs. And then later on in life, maybe I'll, I'll sync up with them or be playing with them. And we'll be talking a little bit about like, you know, learning just a little bit of music theory, like learning, learning, you know, why the major scale works in the way it does and how it relates to a minor scale or, or just, just something just like, you know, throwing some modal mixture yeah, too. exactly like practicing practicing the just the basics that isn't a song but goes into influencing writing songs and they're like it just opened up a whole new world for me as a writer and as a musician like i can't believe i skipped over this when i when i was younger but mm-hmm. i i understand that too when i was younger i uh you know i just wanted to learn songs that i could sing and so i just like looked up fake book uh chords and and would <laughs> you know learn the shapes and sing over them. But as I got older, I learned a little bit more. And, and uh, I feel like that's influenced me. Yeah. I mean, knowing why the music is shaped the way it is over mm-hmm. the course of history kind of gives a m- much broader <laughs> understanding of, oh, this guy named Bach started on something really good here for the uh, for the music world or in the Western music world anyway, because yeah. he had to come up with a system that made music really, really fast. Because he was, a, he had a wife and I think sixteen kids. Wow! And oh um, and he was writing for the Lutheran Church, mm-hmm. so he had to come up with different types of song, different types of pieces that he could play on an organ. And he was using all four limbs to make this happen. There are four yeah. part fugues. He's the guy that came up with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, having an understanding of the recurring patterns sometimes uh, to the novices of music theory, they aren't so much rules. Mm-hmm but patterns in the way compositions were made over the course of history and being able to recognize those patterns and apply them and categorize them and say, this is a fugue, this is a toccata, this Mm -hmm. is a whatever. Yeah. Um, But once that, my mind was blown when I was first learning about that Mm -hmm. because before college, I had no music theory (laughs) knowledge whatsoever. So I was like, trying to keep up with everyone like mm-hmm. what do you mean that's a tritone it could also be an augmented fourth chord <laughs> with the <laughs> with the ear training and stuff uh-huh. but, oh um, man when i was younger and went into uh college i didn't know what i wanted to major in um and so i did take one music theory class and the thing that got me was the ear training <laughs> i was like uh i'm mm-hmm. out <laughs> you know i checked out so good on you for uh powering through yeah it was we had to do it for, I think, two years mm-hmm. in a quarter system. So everything was very quick. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, but that's all I know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, so if we take longer than that, I'm just going to feel like I'm going really slow here. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I'm glad I'm not in college anymore. Yeah. Since then, East Bay has become a semester. Oh, geez. Uh, I've done both. I preferred quarter for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. You said uh, you said something that I really love. I just want to repeat it uh, is uh, understanding 
why music is shaped the way it is. And I love using that word shape for music because one of the things I want to really touch on in, in this like podcast as I go on is, um, you know, the process of writing is more than just stringing notes together or, or words or anything like that. There's, there's this like mechanical art to it. And, and I just love that word shape of it because um, in my professional life and also in my personal life, I'm, I'm a visual artist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, so much is, is about shape. I always joke, uh, at work. I'm like, you know, all I ever do is my job is to draw rectangles. That's all I do is like, just draw rectangles. Yeah, I think you threw that one at me once yeah. or twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so, but, but it's important, you know, you know, the basis of everything, um, in art is, is a shape in a way. And I love, uh, I love seeing that crossover between visual arts and, and music. So mm-hmm. thanks for saying that. Also, I want to say that, uh, before I forget, cello is uh, is my one of my favorite instruments of all time. And Say that again, a little bit slower. <laughs> cello is my favorite instrument. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, part of it is because of Bach. You know, just like the classic, standard, boring uh, on the car commercial or in the at the end of a Sweets. cheesy movie is the sweets. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you could play the the first couple bars of the cello suite, and I'll I'll just be relaxed instantly. <laughs> Great, that's what I'll record here for you. <laughs> no, no, um, yeah. I, this is this is more about uh, about uh, Grimnir than about uh, Bach, some dead though. guy that yeah. passed away two hundred and fifty years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. So, did you ever learn the um, the concerto, the double? concerto yeah i actually have a handful of students that are learning it right now that's awesome yeah i teach i teach uh (laughs) cello privately Mm -hmm. i also do violin and piano cool it's like i can also fart around on trombone a little bit (laughs) but i leave that to the actual experts Mm -hmm. cool awesome so um yeah you talked a little bit about your history and and you named a few uh art uh you know composers i shouldn't say artists because you know at some at some point they are artists but also like more like pillars of music yeah history. exactly yeah <laughs> um, i i, I want to give them their full credit you know yeah, um, no one's going to stop playing their music until yeah. literally everyone dies <laughs> yeah but and you also mentioned you want to focus on on people that are making making uh music today so I, i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um about your musical influences maybe both uh you know the pillars of of your foundation which you've already kind of mentioned but also you know, anyone modern, just anyone that like moves you when you listen to them and makes you want to be uh, a musician and a songwriter. Mm-hmm. So first I'll go into musical inspirations sure. and then I'll go into the non-musical inspiration behind yeah. my my character, I want yeah, to say. Yeah, I'd love to talk, like that'd be a good transition into talking about the character of Grimnir because mm-hmm. I'd love to learn about that. Uh, so some of the people I've been listening to in the last... Well, since about 2016, mm-hmm. first person that came to my listening list was when I was listening to the Overture to the God of War PS4 game. <laughs> and uh, Bear McCreary was le- leading an orchestra of people from the LA Phil, I think. It was at an E3, no, not an E3 concert, it was a Sony conference. And um, in the middle of this Overture to the game, you see this like platinum blonde haired lady beating on a drum doing um i don't remember what it was but she was throat singing and kind of chanting Mm -hmm. and it kind of leads as a segue into the next section of the overture but her name was ivor powell's daughter Mm -hmm. and she is based in copenhagen denmark originally from the faraway islands but she has this kind of alternate she at least in her instagram hashtag she uses describes herself as alternative or um like dark pop 
type sound. Mm -hmm. So still very reminiscent of the forms of the songs here in the States, but she has a more, I guess, ethereal quality to it. And also she has better vocal control than 90% of the people you hear in mm -hmm. pop music. Yeah. Now. And she's done opera before. So she mm -hmm. has a classical background as well as jazz and all kinds of other stuff. I barely scratched the surface with mm -hmm. her, but I got to meet her last year Awesome. when she was touring with another group I've been listening to a lot of, um, Vardruna or Vardruna, mm -hmm. which is, I think, based in Norway or Denmark. Mm -hmm. A lot of Northern talk here, Northern yeah. European talk. <laughs> um, but he, in his um, Runoliod album trilogy, I think it's called, he writes um, a collection of songs or poems, song poems, mm -hmm. about each of the runes of the Elder Futhark and his relationship to them. Mm -hmm. Fleshes them out in a short but simple story of maybe an image, and usually it's written in Norwegian or perhaps Icelandic. He tends to trade it off. But... Um, if you've watched the show Vikings, a lot of their soundtrack in the first three and a half seasons mm -hmm. is mostly Wardruna. That's awesome. And um, more recently discovered, like around the beginning of this year, I was also listening to a lot of uh, Heilung, which again is based in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're a bit more, they exude a bit more of a shamanic, well, Wardruna and Heilung have a very shamanic feel to them, but Heilung mm -hmm. more so, I would say, than Wardruna. And um, their goal, to my understanding, is to try and keep the idea and kind of concepts of the old gods alive, primarily Odin. Mm -hmm. And um, they dress up in like wearable antlers and shamanic garbs <laughs> and have like really vivid and detailed tattoos all over their bodies. And mm -hmm. they wear face paint and try to embody um, the shamans that would likely perform these kinds of rituals. And they say that their performances are rituals. Yeah. And every time they perform, they uh, ignite some incense and brush it over the audience before they start. Mm. And they have this chant that they start the thing with or start every performance with saying remember we all are brothers descended from the one great being who was before all other things <laughs> mm -hmm. blah, blah 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 i don't remember all of it but um i haven't seen them perform yet but they're gonna be in the u.s in january 2020 in san francisco at the regency ballroom nice tickets are sold out <laughs> and also in la tickets are also probably sold out wow. much to my chagrin but they're very popular here mm -hmm. um so there's a spiritual element to the music that i've been listening to yeah and yeah. as a and as an atheist it's a little bit new to me but i feel mm -hmm. myself connecting with it and it's yeah probably connected to my heritage because mm -hmm. i'm mostly um british irish and scottish mm -hmm. but there's also a tiny shred of scandinavian in me it's yeah. just a very very loud part of me that's yeah. screaming out <laughs> i mean i think if you look at the history of the british isles uh and like who conquered it when i think most people from that area have a little bit of uh, they're all nuts Scandinavian. Anyway. <laughs> yeah yeah there's probably more of that in the either yeah. way because i mean if you look at history they have mm -hmm. a they have a they have a relationship with just about everybody up in that yeah up yeah, in of that part of the world yeah that's that's super interesting and uh, and cool that you got to meet like one of your your like influences um, mm -hmm. and uh, I I would I want to say like um, before we really talk about like Grimnir and the album 
uh, you just kind of reminded me of this as you were kind of talking about uh, um, like the throat singing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, listening to your album, I, I, I hear so many, you, you have so many different voices that are, are interesting, but they all work together. And I don't just mean like your voice as when you're singing, you kind of do this like throat singing thing and then you do like a clean voice, but also um, stylistically you kind of paint this, uh, uh, these different um, uh, like peaks and valleys with uh, with different styles of, of music, whether it's it's more of like a, a droning drum hit uh, and and almost like I want to say, I, I don't know what you're influenced by as far as the styles, but um, just my take on it is like it's almost like kind of Native American chanting. And then you have like you have like throat singing, which which could be from like different parts of the world. But yeah, for me, I, I I always try to explain people, and they're like, "Oh, who's this Grimnir guy you're talking about?" Um, like a Tuvan throat singing type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I, I feel like you have all these different influences, and then you have my uh one of my favorite songs on your album, uh, Russell's von Egelsmith, mm -hmm. um, is uh is this really like fun narrative song that has this like baroque aspect, but it actually is like it's just a a really good um like narrative pop song to me that actually reminds me of the white album. Are you familiar with like any Beatles white album songs? I'm like the 0.001% of people <laughs> in the world that cannot stand the Beatles. Oh no, you're, you're one of those. I'm one of those people. It's okay. I'm sorry to compare you, but they're one, of, they are one of my favorites. And, um, and you know, they're, they have a couple songs on the white album that are just these like kind of Baroque, uh, fun songs. Mm -hmm. um and and just the writing on that song in particular the words are just very fun and clever to me and also dark at the same time which kind of hits like every check mark of what i like <laughs> you Yay. know it's like it's like funny and clever and dark you know and mm -hmm. good music so uh Thank i just you. wanted to that. like give you my my mini review of the album before before we really got too far into that and maybe ask you um if you had to classify uh you know this project under a genre or a genre slash genre slash genre. Um, how do you explain it to people when they say like, "What is this album about?" I usually sh say it's a shamanic folk, uh, yeah, type, yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, I I also get some of the like. Um, there's definitely some like uh, you know, British Isles like folk in there too that I really enjoy. Um, mm -hmm. From kind of like that, uh, um, you know, story-based uh, singing, more of like the cleaner songs. And stuff. Yeah, and yeah. going back to what you were saying about painting a picture, mm -hmm. I've always been a very visual person mm -hmm. Like, because I actually started writing like short stories before yeah. I started making music, mm -hmm. before I actually liked playing it. Mm -hmm. And um, it used to take the form of like fan fiction, of course. Yeah. It always starts that way. <laughs> It doesn't exist. It, it was all written down on paper by pen, so there's nothing oh, no. online to find. I've since like probably destroyed it, probably <laughs> threw it in a fire. But um, even in college, I had a short, or not a short, but more or less like a mini symphony mm -hmm. uh, that was dedicated to one of the first original characters I had mm -hmm. called um, Arkantos the Dark Father. Mm -hmm. And it's more or less telling the story from beginning to end of when kind of the story actually begins with him being banished to like an interplanar prison. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the story has to start the the next chapter of time with mm -hmm. the Big Bang. And wow. And has to, you know, start everything over because there's this otherworldly force that's kind of corrupted everything. Mm -hmm. Um, 
as he turned out to not be that much or not the big bad in yeah. that situation. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, even so, I'm glad that the imagery picked up. Yeah, yeah. No, I and I, even the darkness of that very lighthearted sounding song. Yeah, through. that's what I loved about it. Um, and I mean, you even uh, illustrate it in that song in in a lot of different ways outside of just the words, just in the in the way that you're singing, you kind of take on that. I, I believe it's Rachel von Eaglesmas voice, and Cut you can away the gentle exactly, exactly, and then and then you pause, like you know, dramatic pause for for like you know for dramatic effect, and you go, you know, you know. But I digress, and then you go back into yeah. the song, and it's just it's just great. It reminds me actually a little bit too, and this is one hundred percent a compliment. Um, I want to say it's like Benny Hill, this like British comedian. I don't know if you're familiar with Benny yeah, Hill. I've seen some he of used stuff. to do these like comedy songs and there's a name for them. And I was going to look it up when I got home, but I forgot what it was. So if anyone Probably knows, didn't have enough time between getting home yeah, and being here. Yeah. No, like literally it was 10 minutes before you got here. Mm. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll look it up and maybe put it in the podcast notes. Um, but yeah, the album. So is the album also called Grim Near? Yes, it is. Yeah. So, so your um, your persona as a musician is also is called Grimnir, and the album is called Grimnir. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, and so I, I've seen you um, advertise some somehow somewhere as uh, Grimnir, the Demon Bard, mm-hmm. and and I just want to say like I love that tagline. I think it's like per- it fits perfectly for uh, you know the the art that you're presenting to people. Yeah. Um, but you. I'm I'm wondering if you uh, when you were writing the the album. Or uh, you know, putting it together, which is no small feat to, for any artist. Um, so congratulations on like putting out a full length album. Thank you. Um, is is the album? Uh, would you say it's an entire the entire piece is is a story that strings together in some way, or are they all individual story? Is it a collection of short stories rather than uh, one one long narrative piece? It's it's a collection of smaller stories yeah. and also things that kind of fascinate me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Persian modes piece yeah. is one of the more exotic sounding things mm-hmm. in that it takes three different modes based on the Phrygian mode. Mm-hmm. And each mode has its own section yeah. in uh, the improvisation there. Um, and then Zasaya Nature Mother is actually an excerpt from the symphony that I wrote in grad school. Mm-hmm. And normally there are five singers doing it, mm-hmm. but I figured... I could just sing the nat- the melody as it was and then just kind of layer a couple of cello drones in the background mm-hmm. and some simple florid ornamentation yeah. um, with it. And then um, the title track, Veerd, is more or less the character, Gremnir, mm-hmm. announcing, announcing his presence, but also inviting people to come and listen. Mm-hmm. And as you've noticed in my performances, I start every one of them singing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you start with uh, pronounced Veerd. Yeah. Um, also, the uh, old Norse word for fate. Yeah. Awesome. That's in, uh, an interesting tidbit I just learned. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's cool. I I love the idea of like a collection of short stories. I I've always um, I've always wanted to uh, write an album that is maybe a longer thing, but I've never I've never really done that. I've every album that our uh, that my band that I'm in has uh, has made that I've I've uh, written the songs for have been um more like a collection of songs 
that are each in an individual story, like kind of how you've written. Mm -hmm. However, they have like a common theme that is like woven in and out of it. And, and I found that in your album, sometimes uh, it's like about the performer a little bit. And I feel like you, you mm -hmm. do have this thing that regardless of whether they're these individual stories that are together, they fit together so well. And, and, you know, I also feel like you've, or you ordered the tracks really well, that there is this, like this interesting way of listening to the album as a whole, where you're not really getting, getting bored. You're not losing attention because you, you weave in, um, you know, the throat singing and, and then your narrative based things. And then here's like, um, an exploration of, of like cello, like through your, like your Persian mode. So mm -hmm. I, I think that, um, I think that was a very, uh, very like great choice of, um, you know, not just writing good songs, but now you've also put them together in a collection that people will want to listen to. Don't let your family members tell you otherwise, guys. You can do something with a music degree. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but seriously, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to try and arrange the album mm. in a way that more or less resembled a ring cycle. Oh, interesting. So because it begins with yeah, the veered. character introducing himself yeah. and then at the end, uh, the last song on the track because mm. the actual the last track itself is actually a short story that I wrote. Yeah. Um, the the track Grimnir. The track, uh, the song Grimnir, I think is track eight. Mm -hmm. um, but the the final track, track nine, is a short story just oh, spoken. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, that one is based on. And you're yeah. right. They're all about another thing. There mm -hmm. is another common thread that connects all of them together, and it's mm -hmm. all the character. Yeah. He's in every track and mm. even the short story at the yeah. very end. Um, and that one is about a fox and her friends. Mm -hmm. It's not a fun story, though. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I listened to it. It's uh, like, um, it's it's interesting. Uh, that particular story um, is interesting to me because it takes a a character that so traditionally is like a heroic uh, character in, in the, in the sense of a stag. I mean, I know in a lot of cultures, uh, you know, it's represented differently, but um, to me, I just think of, uh, you know, growing up and, and um, respecting like, uh, you know, deer and like watching Bambi and, you know, Bambi's father and, and things like that. And so when I think yeah. of a stag, I think of something that is like this, this beautiful creature that is, you know, in nature and, and gorgeous creature. And, yeah, exactly. And I want to get a pair of antlers so I can wear them myself yeah. and perform, but yeah, go on. Um, but it's so interesting that, um, and, and this is like, you know, my own translation and my own way of interpreting your story. It's interesting that this creature is turned into something dark either by, I, I don't know, I, I maybe need to listen to it a couple more times, but by it being consumed by something that is inherently evil, um, and uh, and I don't know, like, I don't want to give too much spoiler alerts away, but I, I think it's an interesting song for people to listen to who... Um, story. I'm sorry, story. Sorry, everything <laughs> in my word. head is songs. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm so... Uh, but you know, some songs are stories, and some stories can be translated into songs. But yeah, if someone wants to turn that into a song for me, like a twelve-minute <laughs> short story into a song, hit me up. Yeah, I Let's mean, it maybe happen. it's the next collaboration, or you know, or my next yeah. thing, we'll the see. the follow-up EP. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually already working on that one, and mm -hmm. I uh, have a couple of tracks that I'd probably want some backup vocals on. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, people that I've gotten to know over the last few months, and 
people who have been adamant supporters and yeah. I'm hoping you can help out with that. Yeah. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and get some shamanic chanting going on yeah it'd be fun yeah so what, what was the process like of uh of recording the album what you know uh well i started i started recording after i had all the music basically mm -hmm. ready or at least when i believed it was ready music and lyrics music and lyrics mm -hmm. and um Virid went through a transformation and ultimately was reduced to just solo voice mm -hmm. with the final product. Yeah. It had, it started out being a multi-layered thing, being very complicated to mm -hmm. stack everything on top of each other chronologically. And mm -hmm. but I was like, this is too difficult. <laughs> I feel like I can connect. I can convey my message just myself. Yeah. And, uh, just have it be like a really deep, but hopefully, you know, powerful introduction anyway. Yeah, I, th I think it came out really well, though. Thank um, you. I think that's so interesting as as songwriters um, when we record things. I think you know sometimes you'll write a song and you'll imagine it one way, and and you'll demo it, and it'll it'll grow to a certain point, and then you'll actually be in the studio and just hearing it back in a different different context than just you know when you're when you're writing it or playing it at home or whatever you're doing. Um, it makes you, it makes you make choices that are your, normally for the better, you know? And I think that's, it's almost part of the editing process of writing sometimes is, is you're not playing it anymore. You're listening to it back and it helps you make these choices and, Absolutely. and ultimately for the better, you know? Yeah. I mean, so many changes were made yeah. when I was hearing myself being like, oh my God, that's how I sound like when I sing. <laughs> oh, I need to work on that. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, I mean, Zasai and each other. Yeah. That needs a little bit more work. I need to. I still need to figure out my voice and see what it's fully capable of yeah. and have a little bit more control in there, a little bit more refinement. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we're never done growing though yeah. as musicians, you know, I, like um, I'm very proud of the last record that my band put out, but they're like, you know, and, and um, I'm very like grateful for, for people who've listened to it and, um, and said nice things to me, but at the same time, I still have a lot of, um, uh you know worry about the way my voice sounds especially i think mm -hmm. i think bear uh singing in general is is a way of bearing your soul in in like a very pure form um and makes people feel naked you know when you're singing you know um that yeah, that no, we're right. always you know we always lack confidence we always hear our own flaws where other people might not hear them yeah i mean there are a lot there's there are people or there are st some musicians argue that the i would say the majority actually mm -hmm. argue that the human voice is what is able to let us really connect with each other it yeah. has that kind of ability sometimes it works most of the time it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes you want to claw your ears out because someone has like no ability to sing whatsoever but um i found i growing up i was able to and playing music i was able to also kind of really feel with instrumental tracks as well, mm. just purely instrumental. Sure. Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, for example. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, it's a really accessible, very popular, mm -hmm. very good sonatina written yeah. by him. And um, and I say sonatina because the form is a little messed up. So it's not mm -hmm. actually a sonata. It's a slight deviation mm. of that. Interesting. Um, yeah. So he, he, but he was his own category in yeah. music history. Yeah. There was romantic music. Beethoven, <laughs> contemporary music, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that you touch on 
on uh, like the human voice being something that connects to people. But I, I also found in, um, in like classical music, like air quotes, because, you know, a lot of stuff we talk about on this podcast will be like pop music, you know, like yeah, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, the, the more end. modern version yeah. of what I was talking about, but, but also an opera. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But like in, in your songs that are just instrumental, I think there's still a voice there that is bearing something like you're still, you're still telling a story um, through through the music that you've written for for cello, you know, mm-hmm. say one of your pieces that is that is just cello. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also I, I want to add while we're on the note of these like just instrumental pieces, I I love um, there's one track you have that is just cello and, and it's slipping my head the name of it. It's not the most mild insanity. Yeah, mild insanity. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I really enjoy that track just because I enjoy cello in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it does kind of remind me a little bit of. Um, it it kind of had this feeling for me that reminded, gave me a little bit of nostalgia of playing like classic video games that maybe they weren't. Um, they weren't performed on classical instruments at all, but they were very influenced by by classical music. Absolutely. Um, one that I, I want to mention is Final Fantasy VI for SNES. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you played video games. No, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really cool game that is like very like influenced by classical music. But mm-hmm. um, specifically, one of the things I love about that that um, that song is that it kind of has a voice of its own almost as it's it's like you singing through your instrument um but i also love cello when you kind of like you're hitting like two like two strings to hit like a chord on the cello you know and you do mm-hmm. that a few times in there and it just like makes like the hairs on my neck stand up that just that sound Ooh. and it's a little bit like i mean it what it re- it really is um you know harmonizing like two voices harmonizing the way you two notes will harmonize when you played in a chord and it just sounds so, yeah exactly it just sounds so good on a cello you know you could play a chord on a piano or a guitar and it sounds great but you play a chord on a cello with a bow it just sounds amazing to me a bow makes all the difference when you yeah. listen to a piano being struck by hammers yeah or like very soft hammers or a harpsichord mm-hmm. being plucked by metal yeah no volume no volume changes there yeah just the same <laughs> but yeah modern pianos all hammers on the inside but yeah I'm glad you, the, the story behind that track was that mm-hmm. it was actually the first piece that I ever wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, I performed it at my grandfather's funeral mm-hmm. when I was 15. Mm-hmm. I had just kind of like sat down when I was practicing one day because I was in the middle of preparing for another like school concert or something. Mm-hmm. But I had taken the week off school because it was just he and I were the only like men in the family. So mm-hmm. it was like losing my father figure because yeah. my actual father left when I was very young. Sorry to um, hear that. It's, it's all right. We reconnected a few years ago and have since fallen out of contact again. Mm-hmm. So it's whatever. Yeah. Um, but I remembered listening to a lot of Renaissance music or Renaissance based music. Mm-hmm. Jordi Saval is a great person if you want to listen for someone who's striving for authenticity in mm-hmm. quotation marks because um, he's using all period instruments and using mm-hmm. and he works with other musicians who are you know specialized in baroque yeah. or music or uh, renaissance or medieval style singing mm-hmm. countertenors for example who can sing men who can sing in the range of a woman mm-hmm. type thing yeah um but i remember listening to 
a lot of being struck by older music, not mm -hmm. so much Baroque or classical. They seem to have a very generic sound to them. And I was not as moved by them. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of dwelled on that kind of old feeling because mm -hmm. at the same time, it was like my grandfather was 70 something when he died. So I felt like it needed to connect in that very superficial way, but a way that meant a lot to me at yeah. the time needed to sound old for somebody that I held a lot in high regard. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it sounds the way it does. Yeah. But it has Baroque elements as well. Mm -hmm. Parallel six moving in a descending motion all the way down to mm -hmm. the tonic or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Crossing all across all four strings and just kind of evoking that push, mm -hmm. push because death is like that when you're in a grieving process, it just keeps kind of poking at you over time. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. Can sometimes push you to really bad places. Yeah. Um, as yeah. it was for me at that time. Yeah. Thanks. I, I really appreciate you um, opening up and and talking about that that uh, that song in particular. Um, and it's interesting that it you know it has no words, but it it just means so much and evokes so much emotion. It's definitely you know um, one of my favorites. I've seen you play it live as well. Mm -hmm. And you know I think that's what this uh, this podcast is really about is is Absolutely. about how that personal connection in in life influences music and vice versa so i, I think my follow-up question to that is um uh in writing that song and and performing it even over the years uh has it helped the grieving process and and um i mean i play i play that song as a warm-up yeah every day i use my cello that's amazing um but it helps keep it helps remind me mm -hmm. of who I am as an identity, which is going to bring me back to the non-musical inspiration. Sure. Yeah. Um, because, and there's a, a saying that goes around that a rootless tree will not stand. Mm -hmm. And if you don't remind yourself of who you are, you, what are you? Yeah. Thing. It's like, you need to remember where you come from because that's mm -hmm. a, I, ultimately it gives you a point to look back on and be like, I can grow from that. Mm -hmm. even if it was difficult yeah or i went through that and survived and i'm stronger because of it mm -hmm. yeah um, that's awesome i i love that saying a rootless tree will not stand um i uh i recently moved into uh, a new house this is our, our new house that we're recording out um wonderful home by the way <laughs> thank you thank you i'm i'm super happy with it uh moved back to my childhood neighborhood i grew up around here i was actually born really? i was actually born in my grandmother's house that is a few blocks that way that i'm pointing mm -hmm. and uh and she still lives there so mm -hmm. kind of weird uh going full circle like living in other parts of uh of uh the state um but uh back to the a rootless tree that won't stand um our backyard is full of uh trees that have been cut down at some point in this house's life mm -hmm. and you know they just cut it at the stump and left it and then new trees are just growing from that stump it's and i i you know as as someone who wants to have like a yard where um you know melanie's daughter caitlin can run around and play and not trip and and get into things or or get hurt mm -hmm. i you know the stumps are kind of a bane but I, I, like thinking about it now i'm like that's actually kind of beautiful like you can cut down an entire tree like everything that on the surface you could see that's beautiful you can cut it down but it's still it's still going to grow no matter what you do like the arrogance know. of man is thinking <laughs> it can control nature yeah exactly you can cut down that bush as many times as you like but unless mm -hmm. you uproot 
the root, yeah. it's, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And even so, it could have planted seeds, and those seeds will grow. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, That's there's awesome. a... I, was, I also teach at a summer music camp mm-hmm. every summer, and one of the people there heard me sing a couple of tracks from my album there mm-hmm. in front of all the kids. <laughs> And uh, I think she may have been attributing it more to my throat singing or anything, mm-hmm. but um, there's a night that we sit out around this campfire and it used to have a Native American teepee or yeah. Indian home, mm-hmm. stereotypical one anyway. It was since taken out because reasons, um, but it's out in the dark mm-hmm. at night in the wilderness. Yeah. And I had pointed up to the sky saying, look where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um and it's one of those really rare, really rare camps where it's, I've heard anyway, that it's one of the more chill ones yeah. where kids aren't like feeling like they have to be drilled every day. Mm-hmm. Your limits are pushed, but you're not driven to the point of exhaustion. Yeah. Um, but my friend, Karen, mm-hmm. my tangent anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. She was. We're all about tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she attributed the throat singing to like a connection with the planet or maybe my oh. attention to the stars or something, mm-hmm. but it's like stepping outside stepping outside the man or mankind made mm-hmm. constructs that we have around us and just yeah. kind of taking a minute to like look at what's here before it's lost forever yeah or for a while um it, it, and even just like the gentle push of the wind is a real inspiration to me yeah yeah definitely i think i i kind of feel a connection to nature and your music um but one one thing that uh that's interesting is is you mentioned your friend karen um attributed you know some some of whatever you were performing to nature and stuff like that and and i think it's an interesting point that i've brought up already a couple times is um how other people uh, perceive and interpret our our music as songwriters might not always be how we intend it or um, or even what we think and and it's always interesting to hear those things to me as a songwriter it's interesting when someone's like oh is this song about this thing and I'm like yes it is it's about that thing that you think it is because you know it's like a little gift to, to someone in a way but also it really is about um, about connecting with with the listener in some way. And sometimes it's in, in an unexpected way, you know, or something grander than the self. Yeah, exactly. I like that. That's so much better than I, <laughs> than I put it. Um, but, uh, let's, let's pivot just a little bit because, um, I, I'm interested in, in hearing a little bit about the character of Grimnir. Like who, who is Grimnir? If you could like tell the listeners about. Are them. you at all familiar with Carl Jung's writing on the shadow? Uh, I'm not. I'm familiar that Carl Jung is a writer that uh, writes. <laughs> World-renowned psychologist. Yeah. Died a while ago. But uh, one of the things that he writes about as uh, getting to know, and I've only barely scratched the surface on this, is getting to know the subconscious mm-hmm. and a darker self, something that drives subconscious action when you get angry. You don't think about getting angry. You just do. Mm-hmm. Why? And or whether you're sad about something, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. But it comes from a stimulus, maybe a memory or, or some kind of an emotion attached to a memory. But one of the things that I Gremnir is effectively the name of my shadow. Mm-hmm. Is it effectively the name of my dark side? And I think I've been in contact with that shadow since I was in middle school because mm-hmm. I found that back then. I was able to be comfortable with a lot 
of thoughts of maybe my anger mm -hmm. and desires to kind of or kind of embrace my desires to do whatever I was doing at the time. I don't remember, but I remember having conversations with people and saying, huh, you're you're not really thinking the same way I am. Like you're not thinking very similarly to anyone I know either. And these are people that were my age at the time. Yeah. But being comfortable with kind of darker thoughts mm -hmm. and uh, over the course of growing up, I've had night terrors about this character that mm -hmm. at first was like a just a shadowy figure that would stand at the base of my bed or kind of be or orchestrate the nightmares that I had. Yeah. And over the course of time is like colors which his eye colors would change mm -hmm. and um but didn't always have legs. But um it's something that I've given name and voice to. Yeah. And have been using that to make my music since mm -hmm high school because cool. that sadness was from yeah. what mild insanity came from yeah and while i know where that sadness came from losing my grandfather i was able to harness that dark part of myself which mm -hmm. a lot which songwriters do yeah. artists have to embrace yeah, that definitely and communicate with themselves and ask themselves questions yeah um that so, ultimately lead to the answer that is whatever they make yeah so many songs come from that dark sad place and and i think part of that is um, what, uh, listeners connect to. And part of it is what is like the therapeutic aspect of, of playing music where you take this, this dark thing and kind of like release it. Mm -hmm. Um, so Grimnir, um, I, I, I feel like, or I want to ask you, are you illustrating Grimnir when you like, um, when I've seen you perform Beard, you have this large hood. Is that like an illustration of Grimnir, the character? It's it's a form of him. There are yeah. three different forms. Mm -hmm. There's the form that I take when I perform. Yeah. There's also the because the first time I actually thought of this character, I mm. was kind of testing my I was I was reading young at the time. Yeah. And was like, how can I apply this character to a game mm -hmm. where I can really explore it as a character? So of course I went to Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and um had one one and a half campaigns with that character in it. Mm -hmm. And like he was a bad guy. Like he was yeah. he was one of he was the neutral evil in the party. I was gonna ask, is is Grimnir inherently evil or is Grimnir just dark and an expression of darkness? In that in the game he was the embodiment of hunger itself. Oh, that kind of ties us back to uh to the the stag and the fox. Yeah. Uh so as I thought of him as in in that game, he was mm -hmm. a Wendigo, which is a Native American mythological creature, which is at times seen as a as an evil spirit that uh, convinces people to resort to cannibalism mm -hmm. when they're at points of starvation. Uh -huh. um, because when uh, the colonists were coming here, they didn't know how to survive. Mm -hmm. They would go out on expeditions to explore, run out of supplies. And shit, we're lost. Uh, yeah. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. We don't know how to grow food. Mm -hmm. So then when every, enough people had died off, their hunger was tested. And then yeah. they would resort to becoming this creature. And hunger is not an evil thing. The same thing as, or this, in the same way that fire is an evil. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. And... <laughs> And one of the short stories I have where Grimnir is like basically talking about himself, mm -hmm. and which is also called Weird. It's a two-page short story I mm -hmm. put together. But he says something along the lines of, uh, and so 
talking about hunger itself. He says, and so you know my voice, and we have met many, many times. Hmm. So I'll probably release that story at some point. But mm-hmm. in that in that context, in that version of him, he was this Wendigo evil spirit that floated from one body to another mm-hmm. when each one like was drained was drained of use. Sure. Its usefulness ran its course. Mm-hmm. And then there's the short story version of him, which is an extension of the D and D one, but yeah. more. I'm al- I'm allowed a lot more wiggle room, mm-hmm. and um, and and again, he kind of has this. He starts out being a mortal man that is effectively driven to here, America, mm-hmm. and it becomes this monster. And over the course of time, it's just like the hunger never stops because the Wendigo is a creature. It's like once it tastes the flesh of man, it can't be sated by anything else. Mm-hmm. So then after a certain point, that starts to become like a numb thing mm-hmm. for this character. He isn't just a Wendigo. He eventually becomes the Wendigo. Sure. And that flesh no longer sustains him. Immaterial things start to sustain him more. Mm-hmm. Knowledge specifically secrets even more specifically hmm. so he starts harvesting those mm-hmm. in uh in the societies that develop along the original 13 colonies and eventually mm-hmm. works his way up to eventually becoming his own deity mm-hmm. um, and attaching himself to the idea of hunger and yeah. that extra step and he has to go through this like weird quest to yeah attain that goal and he calls it the quest of the four doors mm. It's uh it's interesting how um we expl- uh we express uh things that aren't just a hunger for food as hungers, you know, hunger for knowledge, hunger for, you know, it's material like hunger goods. in its most primitive yeah, exactly. state, the yeah. desire for water, yeah. nourishment, and a roof over the head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Warmth. Yeah. If you're not cold blooded. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well even so cool. you still want warmth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, this concept of uh, of Grimnir is is super interesting. Um, so I I think like my final question on Grimnir is like, um, are you aware of where Grimnir ends and Austin starts? Is that something? Oh, that yeah. you keep I mean, a, keep an eye on. It's. I mean, it's it's a it's one of the things that Jung talks about mm-hmm. is. And you can see an example of this in Breaking Bad mm-hmm. when Walter White kind of embraces the fact that he is really, really good at making meth. Yeah. And then his greed for money just takes him <laughs> and he allows the shadow to consume him because mm-hmm. eventually you like you see that you see that the fabric of his of his psyche starts withering just to the one of I need to keep making this stuff and yeah. I grew as much money as I can. And then he admits at the end, I did it for me. Yeah. To his wife. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but one of the things I was saying, or what I was wanting to get to earlier, was mm-hmm. acknowledging and giving name and voice to the innate things that we don't really have any control over. Yeah. Or at least at first don't have any control over. Why am I angry at this? Mm-hmm. Or I'm angry. Why am I angry? It's not just a character. It's a part of me. Yeah. And, or why am I, why am I feeling X? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a means of controlling what we feel. Sure. And being like, okay, that's valid. It exists, and I'm acknowledging that. 
Yeah. But I need to throw that away for now because I need to do mm. my taxes. Or <laughs> some some real life like, thing. I'm angry. Put that... your emotions aside. We need to pay taxes. This is America. Yeah, it's it's giving more. It's giving more self control. Sure. I I actually really love that as a f- huge fan of Star Trek. It's it's a very uh, reminds me a little bit about Vul- of Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that people actually misunderstood Vulcans. I'm not sure if you're a, a Star Trek fan at all. I watched a few episodes. I didn't get hooked, though. Well, I'm going to explain it to you anyway. No, all right, do it. Do well, it. The thing is, everyone's like, oh, Vulcans have no emotion. They're void of emotion, and that's what makes them Vulcan. But that's really not true. Vulcans are very emotional creatures. Mm-hmm. They just recognize um, certain emotions and um, and appreciate them and learn how to control them in the way that's most appropriate to make their society function, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think there's like a very uh, very parallel story there. I don't know. I, I just like it. I, Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. I believe that's the appropriate yeah. phrase here. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to, uh, to control emotions, though, and that's okay. And then we just scream into a microphone. Yeah, turn it into a song. <laughs> yeah. Or just thrash around on your instrument for a few minutes and yeah. just let it out. Yeah. My outlet was always creative writing yeah, and just exploring that part of myself and the characters I made and the stories I wrote mm-hmm. for them. Awesome. So we've talked quite a bit about the album, which which I uh, I really enjoy um, a lot of different aspects of it. And uh, and I asked you the other day if you if you'd like to or if you'd be willing to play a couple songs from it. Um, so I'm wondering if you've thought about like what songs you want to play and maybe you can talk to us a little bit about maybe two songs from the album. Right. So I was thinking of playing Mild Insanity first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, just to give listeners an idea of where I started from. Yeah, yeah. And then doing the album title track, Grimnir. Grimnir, cool. And um, seeing, you, seeing where I am now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Grimnir would be... I was actually hoping you'd play Grimnir. Um, I love that song. Um, one one question I had about the album that I, I just remind of, it's not about either of those tracks, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, I think it might be in Veard. There's there's some songs that are, um, you know, in English and we can understand them. But it seems like there was one song. I don't know if it was Veard or not. That seemed like it was in like a different language other than English. Am I am I mm-hmm. completely correct or incorrect? You are right. Uh, so Veard was in Norwegian. Oh, cool. And yeah. the character Grimnir started out as a Viking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he sings. In Norwegian, that's where he's from. But the more accurate language for the Vikings mm-hmm. would be Icelandic, because they can. Yeah. People from Iceland can pronounce Icelandic in an Old Norse way. Mm. But um, what he is saying in that track is, "Come ye countless masses, broken, sick, and torn. Mm-hmm. I bear a gift born from darkness." And you can hear while he's singing this, there's a storm raging in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says, "Come, dominate, and spread my storm." My name is Grimnir. Yeah, I love uh, in the song Grimnir when the when the the storm comes in and like the the like thunder strikes. You know, that was a harsh clap you hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Did you learn uh, Norwegian before writing the song, or was it uh, something you did together, or translated for that song? I translated it for yeah. the song. It's, it's I mean, it, he says those lines mm-hmm. in the track Grimnir. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. It's translated to English. Um, yeah. 
Although it's unbeknownst to the listener when yeah. they first hear Vir. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I love it's it's a really interesting Easter egg and callback. And uh, thank you for sharing it on this on this podcast. I feel mm-hmm. like we have like a, a little documented piece of history. But um, yeah, no, I think that's so interesting. It's it's like a reprise in a way of where you know the opening track has the this. Ring. Yeah, exactly. Has this in in Norwegian, and you're like, oh, that's an interesting. What is that? I I wonder what he's saying there. And if you you know, if we didn't have this conversation, I would have never known that. Then in the track Grimnir, it's in English, and now Reading I know Rainbow what it Pierce. means. Yeah, the more exactly. you know. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Okay, so um, yeah, before we get to you know uh, performing the songs, is there any uh, anything you'd like to share with listeners as far as like? Where they could uh, where they could find you to listen to your music online or uh, you know interact with you via mm-hmm. social media. Yeah, I have a website, uh, gremnir.com, G-R-E-M-N-I-R.com. Uh, there you can under music you can find the lyrics to all the songs, or that's under songs. Uh, if you want to listen to the music itself, you can find it on under the music section. There are links to Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, Apple Music. So please listen. Although if you really want to support, you will buy. I hope you will consider buying a copy of uh, the album because that's it's a lot more concrete than seeing numbers on a screen. Yeah. Saying, oh, this was played X amount of times by X amount of people. Yeah. And finding I... out where they're from. It's like that's nice knowledge to know. Mm-hmm. I also want to know if I can, you know, have a meal. <laughs> yeah. I I always say I'm a huge fan of Spotify as a listener because it has everything I, you know, not everything I want to listen to, but it has a lot of music. But I, as an artist, I completely hate and am against Spotify because of, you know, it's really just streaming and yeah. the pool, like generating yeah. or earning from the pool instead of, uh, yeah, I mean, the algorithm yeah, is. they they pay artists shit, you know. Even so even heating, lo- I found yeah. out the other day made like seven hundred bucks from or almost eight hundred bucks from two hundred thousand plays. Wow, that's that's sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you on Bandcamp at all? Do you have a Bandcamp page? I do not. Um, I do have. Um, oh, I guess I should follow. Up. Where where is the best place to benefit you um, to purchase the album? Uh, probably iTunes. iTunes. Um, I also have. I also carry physical copies with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few, there are a handful of physical copies also available from CD Baby. Okay. They're available for 12 bucks. Awesome. Um, and also in person for yeah. 12 bucks. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would recommend every every listener to uh, to see you in person so they can experience. You should... Uh... And you haven't seen my face, you know, my my makeup in person yet. oh man well maybe uh some point in uh in the future we could do something that in stockton that isn't a uh open mic where you could perform more than three songs you know yeah i mean i have a couple of songs like if i wanted to work mm-hmm. with los beekeep beekeepers yeah if, if i could i can coordinate if i can coordinate a symphony orchestra mm-hmm. i can work with you guys yeah and uh throw in some shamanic stuff so yeah, be down to yeah, we should do some opening or whatever. Yeah, we should do I'd some sort of concert and and mic or uh, not my open mic, but yeah, we should do something. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. Um, I'll uh, I'll pause the recording here and then we'll set up to uh, to play some songs. Cool. Right. Thanks again. This is mild insanity.
this mess is broken, sick and torn, I beg you, born from darkness, detonate and spread my star. mess is broken, sick and torn, I beg you, born from darkness, dominate and spread my star. Standing tall and most uncouth From the tallest refuge And I knelt before his stones wall In my dreams I saw his entrance Standing tall and most his stone's wall. 